Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. It's all happening. Broken the pulpit. Good start. Wonderful to see you all this morning. Just to let you know, Mark, as you saw, is away on the Cape Cycle Tour, riding for Domino Foundation, Domino Swap Shop, and that's our non-profit. And uh, it's no coincidence, I believe, that next week, no joke, we're preaching on healing at all three congregations. I don't believe there's a link between Mark riding and the healing, but, but just a divine, divine setup. God is kind of that way. On that note, next week, Sunday night, if you are around and you want to come, we're preaching on healing in the morning in this Move the Mountain season. But in the evening, we've got a man named Dr. Andrew Butterworth, a good friend of ours who's come down from Joburg. He's an elder in the church, but he's also a doctor. And he's going to be preaching on healing and understanding faith and science together. And it'll be a great opportunity if you've got questions around those things. Sunday night next week on the 18th, we're looking forward to having you here with us in that moment. But this morning, my name is Gabe Phillips, if we have not met. Hello, nice to meet you. I'm married to Fiona. We've been married for four years, and uh, our little baby girl, Olivia Grace, is turning one um, on Friday. And as I say often, I do take cash gifts on her behalf. If Just thought I'd put that out there. But otherwise, uh, we are in a move the mountain season. We are believing this is a, a season of faith for us as a people. We are, we are saying that we believe that God is calling us to big things. He's stirring our hearts afresh. We want to put language and culture inside of us that believes who God says he is and what he can do. And we're trusting that this is not just a season of, of hype or, yes, a, a series tick off. Let's move on to the next thing. We believe that we're trusting that this season would leave us marked forever that we'll be different, we'll be changed, and that we'll see the mountains that have stood opposed to us for, 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 for year upon year, that those mountains will start to fall. And we're so excited. Are you enjoying the series so far? Anyone? I am, I am. Thank you so much. If not, hopefully I can do a good job this morning. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to read Acts chapter 3 this morning together. It will be on the screen. I ask you to stand. I remind us time and time again that we are participators in the Word of God not mere spectators. So I ask as, you, as we stand, can you lean in with faith this morning? Because I believe faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So let's read it. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through to 11. It starts like this. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate. So he could beg from people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and and Peter said, Look at us. The layman looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the layman by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with him. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray this morning 
I thank you that you are here with us. I thank you that you are here this morning, Father, pursuing the furthest heart. I thank you, Jesus, that you are here softening the hardest heart. And I thank you, Father, in the same breath, you are strengthening the weakest heart. I thank you, you do all these things through the power of your word. And Father, I thank you as well in this moment. Would you remind all those very carnal Man United fans that football is just a game? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Before you sit down, before you sit down, the title of my sermon this morning is I'm Up For It. I'm Up For It. So I would love you to, we are participators, not spectators, on your way down. Why don't you high five three people and say, I'm Up For It. Are you? Wonderful to be in church this morning, very excited for what God is going to do with us as we lean in expectantly to His Word. Just some background if you're unfamiliar with the story of who this, this man that we meet in, this, in these 11 verses, he's simply known and referred to as the lame beggar at the gate beautiful. The lame beggar at the gate beautiful. He has the, the scriptures tell us that he hasn't walked for 40 years. 40 years he has not known, from, he has not known the pleasure of running. He has not known the joy of dancing or playing any sort of sport. He's a man who this is known, he's known this reality for 40 years. So much so it's become his identity. The way he's referred to is the lame beggar at the gate beautiful. And, and, and I, I love the fact that he's been at the same spot. He's like an icon at the spot. The lame beggar at the gate beautiful. So giving directions to people. Turn left at the lame beggar and go right. You know, people know this guy in this community. He's been there for 40 years and yet no one knows his name. No one no one's knows that guy's name. He's just become defined by his condition and his location. The lame beggar, where? At the gate, beautiful. 40 years, this has become his defining reality. But I want to tell you this morning, this man, though he was defined by his disability, defined by his lack, this morning I've got confidence and such joy in my heart because we serve a God who's in the redefining business. I'll say that again because I feel none of you got too excited about that. I'm so excited this morning that I'm preaching not just a, a manuscript or a dead book to you, but I'm preaching with the confidence that I serve a king who's in the redefining business. That's much better. Well done, people. Thank you. Sunday morning. I really want to remind us from the get-go that we believe so wholeheartedly that there's no story too far gone that our king cannot redefine. I want to tell you this morning from the get-go that there's no story too broken, too stuck for our mountain-moving God to move. I believe that no matter what stands opposed to you this morning, I believe one glimpse of our King, one encounter with Him can change you forever. Just as it did for a lame beggar at the gate, beautiful, I'm praying that your situation, no matter how big, no matter how intimidating or the opposition, how loud it seems, I believe that our King can redefine your story. And I pray that you lean in with me this morning. But here's the question in the season I want to ask us, is what do you do when it seems like your mountain won't move? What do you do when it seems like your mountain won't move? Maybe you've been sitting in the same situation for ages and you're saying, my, my spouse just won't change. I've prayed and prayed. Maybe it's your financial situation that just won't get better, or the addictions just won't loosen their grips their grip, or your guilt and shame won't let you move on, or your health just won't improve. You've prayed, you've prayed, but the mountain won't, doesn't seem to be moving. What do you do in that moment? I want to help us this morning from this text, and I believe that no matter how lame and immovable the situation, 
I believe there are always three postures that you and I can still take up. Three postures. This lame beggar, though he was lame and could not walk, in these 11 verses, I noticed that he takes up three postures. And I want to give them to you as a gift this morning to apply to your life. Are you up for it? Good, I'm glad. I'm up for it. Let's do this thing. Point one. Three postures for you this morning out of this text. Simple preaching this morning. Number one is a posture of expectation. A posture of expectation. There was a why in my way, just in case you were wondering what I was doing. Posture of expectation. You see, this man's routine had not changed for years. This man's routine was the same day in and day out. He was a man who who might not have had strength in his own legs, but he was a man who could probably identify half the city by their legs. Because that's his, his, his eye line, his view line. He was on the floor day after day, and he just saw the legs come by, and he would actually know he had his pitch wired. He knew how, when, how to tug the heartstrings of the people. He actually probably knew, he, he ramped up his volume when the people came out of church, you know, after they'd been in church. That's you know, a good play time to go big outside church. Just thought I'd let you know. Anyway, just seen it happen. Anyone seen the movie Yes Man before? Yeah, yeah, you know, big outside Yes Man conference. That's what you do. Anyway. Just moving on. That's just for me and my five friends who watched that movie. But it's great. But you see, this, this guy, he had, he had been in the same location. He's done the same gig year in and year out, day after day. And this man, for years, had fixed his eyes on what disqualified him. I'm the lame big. He had, he, had, he had sunk to the level of his circumstance and that reality. But this moment came where he was called to attention to expect something different. Peter and John encounter the story, and he says, can I have some bucks? Expecting the same routine that would happen. That was a day in and day out routine. But Peter and John, they respond to him. And they say, the first thing they say to this man are these three words. Look at us. I love the authority that Peter and John speak with in this moment. A man who's gazed, just looking at the legs. Please, some bucks, some bucks, some bucks, please. In a moment he says, no, no, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes. Look at us. And it's in this dramatic moment, the shifting of events, that faith is released into this man's heart. I want to say this. What have you been fixing your eyes on, sir and ma'am? What have you been giving your attention to? Your disabilities, your disqualifications, your deficiencies, your defaults, your regrets, your what-ifs, or his provision, his perspective, his promises. You see, this morning I want to tell you that our future is determined by the direction we're looking. Our future is determined by where we're setting our eyes. Is it on what has been or are we looking to what is unseen? Too often our eyes and our thoughts and our emotions are dictated by what has already been, what has come before, what has spoken already over our lives, the reality that we're living. When God is saying to us, look at us, life change church in this moment, look at me. Lift your eyes from where you've been looking for all these years before. I want to ask us, the, the Israelites fell in this pattern time and time again. If we throw back to the Old Testament, good old-fashioned faith preaching, throw back to the Old Testament, what happened was the Israelite nation, they'd be set free dramatically from Egypt, but as they're walking towards the promised land, behind them, they start to hear chariots. They start to hear the enemy coming fast behind them, and they start to freak out. And they say to Moses, Moses, why did you bring us up from there? At least we had graves in Egypt. Their past comes off them loudly with the chariots coming off them, the chariots pursuing them. And they had this opportunity, chariots behind us and a Red Sea in front of us. Which direction will you look? The people got caught up and their emotions kept wanting to pull them back. Let's just surrender and go back with them. But God spoke and said, actually, I'm not calling you to where you've been. I'm calling you to the unseen. And he said, Moses, raise your staff over the Red Sea. 
an opportunity starts to do open up in front of them. Which direction are you and I looking? Because I believe when I look at my own life, too often I have more confidence in the power of sin than I do in the blood of Jesus. How do I know that? Because I'm not getting, walking free from stuff. I'm not walking free from the, the, the realities that have caught me in this, in this grip for year after year. Where are you putting the power? Where are you looking to in this moment? You see, God is, moved by, is not moved by need. He's moved by faith. God is moved by faith, not by need. Let me say it this way. There's a man named Billy Graham. If, uh, if you've been following the news, uh, he's quite a big deal in Christendom. He just passed away, a hero of the faith, a man of, uh, who, of, of great faith and who preached and saw millions come to faith through his ministry. But if you rewind all the way back to the beginning when he was just a student at university, Billy Graham and his, and his friends were, one day the story goes that they were outside and they were, they were talking about when Jesus would come back. And they, they started to say, hey, we just would love to do something great for Jesus before he comes back. And uh, they started to, this, this, this stirring, this hunger started to stir in them. And, and, and they said, Let, let's pray for that. And they started to pray, nice polite prayers. But as the after evening, after we were into the evening, they realized that Billy had disappeared. And they started to look where Billy was. They could hear him, but they could not see him. And the reason was, was Billy was no longer in their circle praying. He was lying face down in the grass, in the long wet grass, beating the floor repeatedly, saying, God, let me do something great for you. Let me do something great. And I want to say it was years later when they interviewed his wife, Anne. They said, what attracted you first to Billy? She said, she said these words, said it was his sense of expectation and destiny that attracted me to him. I, I want to suggest this morning that I believe it wasn't just Anne who was attracted to a sense of expectation and destiny. That actually he was, that, that faith that stirred in this, this young heart that said, God, would you use me at any cost? That shifted his eyes. If you read a story of multiple disqualification. Simple faith, they called him. A man of simple faith. They said it in a derogatory way. But it was that man's sense of expectation, I believe, didn't attract just his wife's affections, but actually heaven's agenda. God is not moved by our need. He's moved by faith. And uh, uh, two weekends ago when we had Haleth Borta here, she said this line, she said, your expectation is his invitation. It's worth writing down that your expectation is his invitation. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro from the, around the earth, seeing who he may come and meet with. And God is looking for hungry hearts, for hearts that aren't looking to their problems, but hearts that are looking to his promise. Expectation unlocks the impossible. I've been reading in the book of Ezekiel, a well-worn text. There's a prophetic text of Ezekiel 37. If you want to go read it at home. And it's this moment where the Spirit of God takes this prophet man, Ezekiel, out and it says, Ezekiel, son of man, what do you see? He asks him this question, what do you see? And he's taken up in a vision and, and Ezekiel says, I see a valley of dry bones, just bones, just skeletons everywhere as he looks out. And, and the invitation is this dialogue continues. God said to him and the Spirit of the Lord said to Ezekiel, look again. What do you see? And Ezekiel starts to say, I see flesh start to come onto these bones. I see muscle and sinew. And I see a great army start to rise up. It was the same lens, the same scene that was said before him. But God gave him the invitation to look again. What do you see? What are you seeing, sir, ma'am? What are you allowing your eyes to be caught up with? And I want to push us in this direction. What do you see today? Do you see the dry bones of your financial situation? Do you see the dry bones of your relational status? Do you see the dry bones of your spiritual life? Or do you see the potential of a different future? I tell you, with my baby girl, Olivia Grace, turning one on Friday, 
every night, no matter how good or bad the night was with sleep, no matter if she was up four or five times with huge tears, no matter if there was incredible pain, whether she was, uh, there was nappies to be changed, whether, there was, whether we got no sleep or we slept really well, can I tell you what I love about Olivia Grace? Is the next morning when I come through and turn on the light, she's standing on the cot, smiling, going, here we go. And I'm like, were you not awake the last four hours with me? When, when things got stressful and strained, and I was like, it's going, God, I know this is my child. But, you know those moments, it's like, <sighs> but every morning, no matter what has come before, Olivia Grace is going, Dad. And here's the thing this morning. I believe that simple, simple faith is faith that's expecting that God has still got good things for you and I. And if I can do one thing in point one here is where are you looking, sir, ma'am? Where have you allowed your eyes to settle? Have you know that God's mercies are new for you every morning? God has a great future for you. And that's not a preacher talking some hyperbole or some hype. The scriptures say it this way. It says, he leads us in triumphal procession. The glory of the former will be greater. The glory of the latter will be greater than the former. He leads us from one level of glory to another. God has good things for you and I. Where will you and I be looking though? What has been, what is yet unseen. A posture of expectation. Number two this morning. This beggar didn't just have a posture of expectation. He had a posture of obedience. You see, faith without obedience, expectation without obedience, if it's just left alone, is just wishful thinking. Let me say it again. Faith without obedience is just wishful thinking. These guys walk and they say, look at us. And he gives them their attention. And they say, we don't have silver and gold, but what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Now, this is one of those situations where they say, get up and walk. He had a choice in that moment to go, thank you, bless you. I, I receive that prayer in Jesus' name. Or he could get up and walk. Two choices. Demanded a response. Here's a thing that we love to say, that God said it, that settles it. Maybe that sounds simplistic for you, but when you've got a mountain in front of you that just won't move and you don't know where to turn, you're not looking for fancy faith. You're looking for one simple God you hold on to who can do amazing things. And I want to tell you, this is a simplistic idea that God said it, that settles it. And uh, there's this man that is an interesting figure in, in, the, in the history of Christendom in the, 19, in the last uh, century, a man named Smith Wigglesworth. He was a plumber um, by profession. But then he encountered God in radical ways. And actually, they've got 14 recorded occurrences where he raised someone from the dead. Smith Wigglesworth. There's stor- radical stories, crazy stories of radical healings. And then wherever you sit on that spectrum or not, God did incredible things to this guy. And actually, when they interviewed him, he said, Smith, Smith Wigglesworth, how do you deal? What is, your, what is the response? Because you're different to the other preachers. You preach and there's power. What happens with you? And he says, well, I've got four things I do. And these were the four things, and, and I found these are good things to write down. Secrets of power. You ready for it? It says this. Number one, I read the Bible. See, secondly, I consume the Bible till it consumes me. See, thirdly, I believe the Bible. It says, and finally, I act on the Bible. And everyone was wishing that some, he had some other deeper secret they were going to give him. And he actually said, it's obedience to the Word of God. God said it, that settles it, so I do it. God can tell you, this is the understanding for you and I, that actually we too often, we empower our lame situations with lame excuses. And can I be honest? 
as Christians are sometimes the best at this. We like got good ones. We like really good excuses. You know, when somebody will say, "Hey, have you signed up to serve? Are you serving? Where are you serving?" You know, I'm praying about it. Just seeing where the Lord will lead. Cool. Hey, do do you share your faith? You know what? I don't think it's my gifting. Have you been baptized yet? You know, I'm waiting for the water crisis to be over because you know I'm, a, I'm I'm environmentally minded. We're just good at these excuses. Have you forgiven that person yet? I'm waiting for them to say sorry first. You're sick. Have you asked anyone to pray for you? I'm walking a road with the the Lord on this one. No, no, no. Scripture says, if you're sick, get people to lay hands on you and you will be healed. Now, I don't know if there's a level of mystery, but actually we can live in the mystery without, but for too long when actually God says, will you obey me in the simple? We're not accessing the mysterious things because we're not obeying the simple things. He has the understanding this morning for our wicked, fickle hearts is that they, when they see it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk, it demanded a response. Now, I love to take this off you and me. This is just maybe for me. We are not animals. What I mean by that is animals live by instinct. They live, when something happens, they just run. When something makes a noise, they go. When something startles them, they're off. They, they respond to the natural instinct. Sir, ma'am. We are not animals. We have the ability to do something called respond. We have more power and more authority than you know. You're not a victim of circumstance. You're not a victim of, oh, I guess, well, I just got to wait this one out. No, you have a choice on how you respond. I can't choose my situation, but I can control my response. I can't control what happens to me or what they say about me, but I can control my response. I'm not a victim of what happens. I can control it. I can rise up above the gossip. I can rise up above the setback. I can rise up above the betrayal. I can rise up above the abuse. I am up for it. Sir, ma'am, this morning, let me help us. Expectation is changing where you look. Obedience is starting to walk in that direction. That's worth saying again. Expectation is changing where you look. Look at us. I'm not going to look at where I've been, but I'm looking at the unseen. But here's the next thing, is understanding that obedience is starting to walk in that direction. Your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. Your direction... Not your intention determines your direction, destination. I can sit on the couch all day going, oh, I really would like a sandwich right now. Ooh. I really, I'm standing in faith for a sandwich right now. Father, just move on the heart of Fiona right now. Release that gifting and anointing. Intention won't get me a sandwich, but actually changing my direction and walking towards the fridge just might. Let me add a stupid analogy, but I want us to understand this, that wishful thing or good intentions don't change your direction. Because actually, can I, if we polled everyone here, do you want to change? Nearly all of us would say, yes, I want a better future. What will separate the people who will actually walk in it is not just the desire, but the ability to obey and walk in that. Posture of expectation. Secondly, a posture 
of obedience. Because here's the thing, everybody wants a harvest, but nobody wants to plow a field. I meet with people week in and week out saying, I want change, I want change. And actually I'm realizing, they go, can you pray for me? And I'm realizing, I can pray for you, but what are you going to do after that? Because too many people are going, I want change, help me. When actually I say, sir, ma'am, you're not an animal. You've got a choice, an opportunity. Yes, prayer is powerful, but actually your ability to walk that out will determine your future. I want to land that point by asking the simple question. What does the enemy talk to you into that God is calling you out of? I think too many of us have allowed our ears to be given to lame excuses and allowed the enemy to talk us into things that we shouldn't be doing, into things of areas where we are resting, into things of where we are allowing our hearts to go places. And God is saying today, are you up for it? Are you up for me? I'm going to call you out of something. Expectation, obedience. Thirdly and finally this morning. Actually, before I get there, there's a, a story. This last, uh, I've been reading a book, a man, one of my heroes, Reinhard Bonke, a German evangelist who uh, preached all over Africa. And he tells this story in his book, and, and, and it's actually on YouTube. So you can go, who knew? You can go watch it afterwards. But this amazing story of a lady named Jean Neal. And Jean Neal in the 70s, she was a woman for 25 years who had been confined to her wheelchair. She had had three spinal operations. And they were nervous to a fourth one because they said because of the meds she's taken for a weak heart, a fourth one might prove fatal. So she, but, but the pain was so real in her body that she actually there was, there was not many other options, either live with this pain or go for this operation. She had to decide. And in this process, um, she, she had a dream one night. She was a Christ follower. She went to church week in and week out. She was similar to this man, positioned herself in the church there. Many people had prayed for her. Nothing really happened. And it got a bit of a sore spot. The mountain just wouldn't move. But uh, one night she had a dream. That, and in the, in the first dream, she had two dreams simultaneously. One happened and, uh, um, consecutively. And the first dream was of her on the operating theater and as, as if she was being operated on. And then she saw her heart flatline. And the doctor said to, to her husband, Sorry, her heart was too weak. We knew this was a risk, but we lost her. And she woke up in a cold sweat. Going, was that dream? Was it my fears? What's going on there? And she, she calmed herself down, went back to sleep. And in, almost immediately, she had another dream where she was in a meeting. Where she was in a wheelchair next to other people in wheelchairs. And a man with a foreign accent was preaching and came to pray for her. But before he prayed for her, she prayed for a woman before he stood up, but then sat back down in a chair. But then she came, he came to her and said, get up and walk. And she started to walk. She woke up and going, those dreams so, seem so real. So she went to her pastor and said, what, what do I do with this? And he said, actually, we've got a choice. Will you give your attention to the first one, the negative one of potential doom, or the second one? And she's like, yeah, but I don't know what, if I want to let my heart go there again. I've trusted, but nothing seems to have happened. He said, well, actually, you've got a choice. And she said, okay, I'm going to trust for that one. Little did she know that actually that weekend coming up, Reinhard Bonke, a young evangelist with a German accent, was hosting a, a youth crusade in the, in the city. And because she, she was a, a lady who used to help out with the young people every now and again, she went to this crusade. It wasn't even for her, but she went. And she was sitting in a chair there, and this is where you can pick it up on YouTube, where Rhino Bonker says he came out that night, and as he came out to preach, he says he just felt the Spirit of God say, that woman in the wheelchair is going to walk tonight. So he said, okay. So he started to preach, and as he preached the gospel, many got saved that night. Lots of people ran to the, the front and gave their lives to Jesus, as was uh, accustomed to as a ministry. 
Then as he was about to pray for the sick, a guy came up and said, listen, we've only got the halls for 15 minutes more because we've actually booked it only till 6 o'clock. And, and, and Bonky started getting frustrated and, and actually going, but I haven't prayed for the sick yet. So on the YouTube video, you'll see him leap off and he runs to the first lady. And, and, and he runs to the lady and he prays for her and she gets up and then totters back down. And in this book, he says, my heart is like, I've missed it. I've missed it. I, I, I knew God said a woman, but I went to the wrong one. So he looks wildly around and he starts to run. He runs through the aisles all the way to the back. And he goes in front of Jean Neal, this lady who's sitting in the wheelchair with her husband. And as uh, you see this, this, you read the background of the book, but as he's chanting to her, he says to her, you're going to get healed tonight. And Jean Neal now is saying, this is the dream. Even where Reinhardt felt disappointed at the first lady not making it, that was confirmation for her. She said, that's exactly what happened in my dream. So he says, I feel you're going to get healed tonight. She started to weep and said, I know, I know, I know. And this is a woman who hadn't walked for 25 years. And he said to her, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. He said, I thought her husband was going to hit me at first. He says, but this woman, he said, because he said, the husband said, she has no hips. The hips have disintegrated. How can she? So she stood up and she fell forward onto him. And Ryan said, oh, my heart went, what have I done? Then he realized something, it wasn't just a, this wasn't just a weakening of the legs fall. This was, God was doing something. And as he held on to her, he whispered into her ear in a simple way. He said, Dr. Jesus is working on you. And she said, I can feel my bones. I can feel my bones. On the video, it's on YouTube. That's giving you something to do this afternoon. Write it down, YouTube. Um, just quoting my source. See, I've been in the Word this week. <laughs> what happens next is this, um, this woman, as he said, get up and walk. She stands up straight. Her eyes go big, and then she takes off. She starts sprinting and running. And Bonke, in his German way, says, my God, my God, where's that woman? Where's that woman? And she's gone around the whole venue. She's hugging people, running, running, until she eventually comes back to him. And the, the husband doesn't know what to do. He's clinging onto the wheelchair, still pushing it like. It's, it's just this phenomenal moment. And for time's sake, I just love the story. What stirred in my heart as I started to weep and weep and weep. And because I felt God say to me in that moment saying, too often we hear the word of God and we're like, great preach, good word, but we do nothing with it. When God, we say, God, would you speak to me? And he said, I have. What have you done with my word? What have you done? This is what I want to do in your life. God is wanting to do something inside of your life. What are you doing with it right now, sir, man? What are you going to do with it? Third and final point. Yeah, the posture of expectation, a posture of obedience, but also a posture of partnership. You see what happened? Peter and John, as they said, they, they extended their hand. And they said, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. They put out their hand. He took their hand. And the Bible says, as he was standing, as they were lifting him up, as they, he was standing up, he got healed. It wasn't in the moment, he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. I receive my healing, and then I'm going to walk. It was as he took their hand and stepped up, God brought the strengthening. In the resp obedience response, God brought the strengthening in this area of partnership. And here's the understanding for you and I, is that we were never meant to do this alone. If you don't get this, you will surround yourself with people who make you feel comfortable, but who will never challenge you. You see, this guy had been outside that church for years. And according to the Jewish faith, there were three tenets of their faith. One, the third one is to look after the poor and the, the, the outcast and the broken and the sick. That is high up on the agenda in the Jewish faith. 
So this temple, him positioning outside the temple might have been strategic, but I can imagine he hasn't moved from this area because it's actually been good for him. In terms of people have looked after him, I can imagine they did bucket drives of clothes and foods and they helped him. And that's all good godly things. And it's great things. But actually, he had, he had allowed himself in the, to be, just become comfortable in the situation. When God said, actually, I want to bring people along your path, they're going to call you out of your situation. There's a scripture that, uh, that we, we quote in church. If you have been around, you would have heard it. It said, don't be unequally yoked. And people go, yes, yes, in a marriage setting, it's always good to, it's better to, best to marry somebody who shares your faith. Don't be unequally yoked. I, I don't believe, I also believe that principle is true in, in the circumstance of who we're giving relationship to, who we're allowing our hearts to be linked with, not just in a marital context, but in friendship. Because I want to remind us, don't surround yourself with people who agree with your status quo. Instead of hanging with people who continually pull you down, start hanging with people who pull you up. I've just met with person after person who keeps telling me, actually, no, I want change, but they're not a, they want to stay with the same group of people who call them back to where they've been, pull them back to their lifestyle. And actually, sometimes it's people, well-meaning people, who just nod and say, actually, you know what? Maybe it's God's will for you. And it seems well-meaning, but actually, God has called us to be a people of faith. Yes, to understand the mystery, but actually to say, I'm still going to hold on to him even if he does not heal me. Even if he does not risk me, I'm going to hold on to him. I'm going to keep looking that way. I'm going to keep being obedient and keep trusting him. But actually, too often we surround our people, ourselves with people who pull us down instead of pulling us up. Another way to say it is if you want to slay giants, hang out with giant slayers. This is a biblical principle. The man named David, we know it's, it's, a, it's like almost a comic book story in our, in our Christendom reality. But David was a man who became famous. Why? Because he killed Goliath, a giant. What's lesser known is that years later, David, as men started to hang around him, men who were broken, who were, who were, who were in debt, who were distressed, the Scriptures tells us, these men who used to come and gathered around David became his mighty men. And actually, a whole bunch of them, if you go read the book of Chronicles, which I know many of you probably haven't even knew was in existence. But uh, if you go read the book of Chronicles, you start to find out those guys themselves killed giants. And I, would, I don't think, think it takes a leap of logic to realize that if you hang around with a man who's killed some giants himself, you're going to start doing it yourself. This is, this is a simple understanding this morning, but I want you to know that you and I need each other. We need each other not just not to support and comfort, but actually to call each other up to what God has called us to be, Life Changes Church. I know we, are, yeah, I know we hate this, but please can I ask you in this moment, could you say to the person next to you, can you say to them, I need you, you need me. We're better together. Now, just a disclaimer, this is not a pickup line. It's not a pickup line, please. No, you dodgy single guys, eh? Watching you, Michael. But I... I Seems silly, but I, I am so, never been more convinced that we are in this together to change the city. We are not doing services just to keep people comfortable. We're not just doing a church just to go, it's okay, it's going to be all right. We believe we're called here to call us to faith what God is calling us to be. Not just to stay in our re- present reality and be a little bit, fluff the pillows, make ourselves a little bit better, and enjoy the ride till Jesus comes home. No! We're called to take a city and do it together. 
I believe there's something powerful about gathering together. That's why church on YouTube is not enough. I'm telling you there's something powerful. You don't, and if you come here, the preaching or the worship, yeah, that's great. But actually, I believe we come to church for what we can do one another. That as we lift hands together, as we declare together, as we stand with one another, that actually we're linking partnerships and saying, God, I'm trusting you for a future. If you're sick, who are you surrounding yourself with? If you're in trouble, who are you surrounding yourself with? It's a silly analogy, but the lion always takes not the weakest member of the the tribe or the weakest member of the the animal group, but actually the isolated one. If you're weak, surround yourself with strong people. If you're struggling, get a group of friends who are going to call you up. Posture of partnership. What do you do when the mountain just won't move? You get a posture of expectation. Look at us. You get a posture of obedience. Get up and walk. You get a posture of partnership. Take the hand. Because here's a thought. Expectation is changing where you look. Obedience is starting to walk in that direction. Partnership is taking the hand of people who call you up. Look at us, they said. And he said, I'm up for that. They said, get up and walk. He said, I'm up for that. He said, take our hand. I'm up for that. This morning, I want to put inside your heart a response system that kicks in tomorrow morning, that kicks in when the mountain gets big, that kicks in when you don't know where else to turn, that actually I still can pick up. I can't move. I don't have any strength in my own ability. I cannot face the situation. My spouse is too much. My job is too big. My finances are too low. I don't know what to do. I cannot move from here. Well, actually, I can do something, though. I can't move, but I can look. So I can change the direction I'm looking. I can take a posture of expectation, can take a posture of obedience. I can take a posture of partnership. And this is what we do when the mountains won't move. This morning as I land, I know that some of you are facing impossible situations. Impossible situations. Situations that that you've walked in with a heavy heart. I'm not here to belittle them. But I have confidence for you today because of a man named Jesus Christ. Because you see what happened is he died a death that you and I deserved. He embraced in that moment when he died on the cross, Jesus Christ embraced our lack of faith and our lack of obedience. You see, on the cross, it says Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. It says that Jesus died for us while we were yet his enemies, while we were dead in our sins. While we were dead, he died for us. That means we had no faith. It means we had no obedience. And yet, still in that moment, Jesus died for you and I. And then the great news is that he did not stay dead. He said, I'm up for it. And he came up out of the grave and he rose to life. And here's the amazing thing. The Bible tells us that with Christ we were raised. The scripture goes on as I land. It says that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you and I. I have confidence this morning that I, I really have confidence that I can preach the word of God and faith will stir in your hearts. But I have confidence in this this morning because I believe the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is present here today. And that spirit is this, doing this. Get up and walk. I believe the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is here and looking at you in your situation and saying, I see your brokenness. But in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Here's the thing. Faith comes by hearing the word. But now there needs to be obedience. I'd love you to close your eyes, please. Just as a lame beggar, God, look at us. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Take our hand. He had the opportunity to just to, to shift and stay in the status quo. Shift and stay where it had been. Stay in the comfort zone. But I want to ask you, in a move the mountain season, 
Sometimes God wants to move the mountain in you and I. What's your move? Are you up for it? Right now in this place without hype, without any music behind or anything, but just with the Spirit of God awakening sons and daughters to who they're called to be, awakening sons and daughters to, to, to change where they look, to start walking in obedience, to taking partnership with those around them, but ultimately with the Spirit of God. In this moment, if you are here and you've never made a decision to follow Christ, maybe you've played religious games, but you've never said, I want this power-filled relationship with Jesus, real relationship with Jesus, where He becomes as real to me as the breath in my lungs. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, I love you just to lift your hand here. No one's looking around. It's just a faith movement for me to be able to pray with you. Is there anyone here? I love you to do it. Thank you, ma'am. Brilliant. Is there anyone else? That's amazing. Keep your hand up, man. I want to pray for you quickly. Every eye bowed in this moment. Father, I pray for this woman right now. I thank you, Jesus, for the faith that is stirred in her heart. I thank you, Father God, in this moment. You're doing eternal things. It seems so trivial. It can seem so light. It can seem so just what's going on. But actually, it's not our hand going up that saves us. It's, our, it's the faith in our heart that you are who you say you are. That you are able to do what you can do, what you say you'll do. So, Father, I thank you right now, God, as she turns her eyes from her past and she turns her eyes to you, Jesus. She says, Father, I repent of what has gone before. But I hold on to you, the one who leads me into the more. I thank you, Father God, that you're doing what only you can do by your power of your spirit. I thank you for that, God. I try now for the rest of us. If you're comfortable, I'd love you to stand to your feet. I'd love to pray as we land. If you're facing a situation that needs needs this word to go deep in your heart and not just be a light and fluffy or be, be a, a word that goes, yeah, that was good and move on, but actually something that changes the posture of your heart. If that's you, could you lift your hands this morning? Father, I thank you for the simple act of obedience. I pray right now, Father God, as the hands are lifted to you, they represent a change of where we're looking. It represents a change of where we're walking. And Father, it represents a change of who we're walking with. I thank you, Father God, right now as people respond to you, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is making hearts alive, is making hearts strong, is making, is, is rescuing the furthest heart, is strengthening the weakest heart, is softening the hardest heart. And I thank you, Father God, you're doing this with the power of your spirit. Because it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, O oh God, that we can say, who are you, a great mountain? You shall become a molehill, a plain before our God. I thank you, Jesus, as these people stand. Will this be a moment that transcends just a moment? And they would, their response would be, would go walking and leaping and praising God because of what you're about to do in their lives. We trust you for this. In Jesus' name.